It's time for the Charlotte FC podcast. scored my goal against Nashville and Anton grabbed my jersey and my face and said kiss this badge man this is our club our house we ain't letting anybody come in here and disrespect us and you our boys do a good job of creating chances of playing with the intensity and energy uh, i just want them to get more for more reward for the work that they do welcome benvenuti bienvenidos you are listening to the charlotte fc podcast i'm your host nick finelli it's not every day one gets to sit down and talk with world-class soccer football referees. We were fortunate enough to have a chat with Pro Referees Director of Senior Match Officials, Alan Kelly, and the Chief Refereeing Officer, Joe Fletcher, to learn more about how the organization Pro, Professional Referees Organization, works, their roles now, and an inside look at the refereeing process from training to match day and beyond. Alan Kelly was born in Cork, Ireland, and is the Director of Senior Match Officials at Pro. His decorated career includes officiating over 350 matches in the League of Ireland Premier Division and refereeing Ireland's FAI Cup Finals in 2003 and 2009. He was ranked the number one referee in Ireland for several years, including Referee of the Year in 2006, before coming to the States in MLS, where he officiated eight years and was named MLS Referee of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2018. He was also selected ref for the MLS Cup in 2016 and 2018. Joe Fletcher, from Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, is currently the Chief Refereeing Officer at Pro. His career spans 25 years, including officiating honors as CSL Referee of the Year in 2007, MLS Assistant Referee of the Year in 2018, pointed to also MLS Cups as an AR in 2014 and 2016. He also has been an assistant referee in the 2014 and 2018 FIFA World Cups, 
along with officiating CONCACAF Gold Cups, CONCACAF Champions League's finals, FIFA Under-20 World Cups, the Olympics, Copa America, and FIFA Confederations Cups. All right, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Alan Kelly and Joe Fletcher. They are both a part of pro officials, but not long ago, they are former referees and actually former MLS referees of the year, and they've worked MLS Cups. So they have a lot of knowledge and understanding, and now they're in a, in a fantastic role at pro officials, and we're going to learn about that and more about how officiating works with them. So welcome, Joe and Alan. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Happy to be here. Sure. So for our listeners, they might not know that the officials for MLS and NWSL and USL all come or are partnered with pro officials. So can you tell us just a little bit about what pro referees is? So pro is an organization that was put together to help professionalize, train, educate match officials for the professional leagues in North America. So predominantly we deal with the United States. There are a few Canadians, which I'm one of them, who happen to work in MLS with MLS having three Canadian franchises. But the the concept was that we wish to better officiating and be a world leader in a decade. So Pro was instituted, I believe it's 2012. So let's just conveniently end at the 22 World Cup. And there's an argument that this just kind of worked. Yeah, sounds sounds like it. So how did you all get involved with Pro in your current positions? And um, no, I'll just mention this to everybody. So Joe Joe Fletcher is the chief refereeing officer, which is a new position. And then Alan Kelly is the director of senior match officials. So Alan, why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about how you got into pro and then how you became the director of senior match officials. Um, yeah, um, how I got into pro, um, that's a really interesting one. Um, but let's just say that the opportunity to come to the US, I, I'm, I'm from Ireland uh, originally. Um, I refereed in the League of Ireland uh, back home and uh, in UEFA competitions, Europa League, Champions League, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was a FIFA referee. The opportunity to come to the U.S. in 2014 uh, presented itself uh, through pro. And uh, yeah, I, I, I came over with my family back then. So I was an MLS referee from kind of somewhere in 2014 uh, until the end of 2021, when, um, uh, when I decided to, that uh, I'd upset Far too many people uh, over the course of the U.S. over uh, over a nine-year period uh, with my referee performances. So I decided enough was enough. I let other people go and do that for um, for now. Um, I'm, I'm I'm kidding a little bit, but um, yeah, that that's that's pretty much what it was. I, I refereed all the way to 2021, and uh, uh, the opportunity to move into the management role um, it was it was discussed. I expressed an interest. A series of meetings to, to see what I could bring to the, uh, to the management team. And um, yeah, decided that once, uh, once everything kind of fit into place, uh, I, I wanted to be part of the management team that I felt was doing a, a really good job. And in terms of the 
progress and the direction that Pro was going, I felt I could make a really valuable contribution to the match officials uh, working within the the or under the Pro umbrella. Uh, so I took up the position as a, as um, manager of senior referees uh, at the beginning of 2022, uh, and that's my that's my little bit of a backstory to it. So what what does the senior match official do? So senior match officials, um, so we have 28 full-time referees, okay? So, uh, and then after that, we have close on 50 uh, assistant referees that are not full-time, but within the program. Um, and then we have our VAR, pro, uh, VAR program uh, as well, okay? So so from a referee point of view, just focusing on that, first of all, the referees are they're full-time uh, with pro. They undertake a, a, it's a, a whole area that we can get into, but obviously they're referee games, uh, referee games. We have a sports science department that filters into that, a sports performance uh, department that they all filter into. So just to give you a quick example, every day uh, their sleep patterns are are monitored, they're training, they, they receive training, uh, weekly training sessions, both when they're at home and when they're at, at pro camps, pro referee training camps. The, you know, the game preparation training is all factored into that. The recovery process is all factored into that post-training, post-game. Really, really important area. You could do a whole podcast session on that alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of it. Um, the being full-time uh, means that we get together, right? Uh, look, the, the North America is um, it's a, <laughs> it's a really big area. So getting together regularly uh, is an important part of it, okay? Um, so we have uh, every two, three weeks, we have pro training camps, um, uh, typically in a centralized location where all the, uh, the, the referees and the um, senior management team get together. We go through, you know, some technical training and there's a physical training element to that as well. So, and then in between all of that, they have their own lives. Uh, right. You know, their day-to-day routines, families, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, again, just gives it a little bit. They don't just turn up on Saturdays. That's the that's the main thing here. Yeah. Or Sunday. Yeah. So, Joe, share with me about the, the chief refereeing officer and what your role is and what you do. Much like Alan, I retired. I, like, for starters, people who referee, number one, they're human beings. And number two, they're wildly competitive human beings. And number three, there's a certain special, unique way about them because y- you have to kind of be a little bit different to accept that you're going to take 22 people who have opposite viewpoints and you're trying to make them all play nicely in the sandbox. Like it, 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 I contend that refereeing is as much art as it is science, which is probably why some people will like you and some won't. I argue yeah. that half the people like you half the time. Yeah, not and to mention kid. a contentious crowd. Oh, yeah. That, they also are included of the people who <laughs> will like you half of the time. But uh, in my personal case, I retired after the 2018 World Cup. I said to myself, I want to get out before people see me get really poor. So, And then I realized uh, once you're into this stuff, like you're, you're you get some lifers. I have to hold my hand up and say I'm one of them. Uh, I, I do love this stuff. So I went into the pro management side and said, listen, I've achieved what I've achieved in my career. I'm kind of happy with that. I'd love to be able to help who's next because it's the next great thing that I could sit there and say, wow, I was a part of that. Even if it was one, two, three percent, I'd feel good about that. Uh, I was in charge of the senior assistant referees. 
and have now moved into the chief refereeing officer position, which uh, all the departments that Alan just mentioned, I'm here to make sure that they work in unison and in harmony, because at the end, we're all here to try to make match officials better. That's the job. So yeah. hopefully on Saturday, the performances are better than they were in yesterday and in yesteryear. Right. Right. So what, what are some of, and this is for both y'all, what are some of your day-to-day -day tasks? Something that, you know, people might not know, like, hey, this is something that you have to do. So in the execution of duties, we have uh, early, let's just take you through a standard week, mm -hmm. really capsize. Monday, yeah. we got to do assignments. So there has to be, they, the officials get a certain amount of notice before they have to go referee. We don't just tell them on Friday night, oh, by the way, can you stop by? Uh, Charlotte's having a game and uh, we need you to cut. Like outside of emergencies, right. they get weeks notice so they can adequately prepare for that match. Um, after we consider the assignments of these officials, obviously a different department of pro has to do with their logistics, travel, and so on and so forth. We have a different department of pro that has to work on their physical preparation leading into said match. So um, then, then there's the performance review of the weekend that just went by because the officials are held accountable for their performances. I'm going to repeat that because most people would question this. The officials are held accountable for their performances. If a referee makes a mistake that impacts the outcome of a game, we treat them very similar to how a manager treats a center back who lays off a bad pass and their team loses by one goal. Right. Sometimes the manager will say, you know what? Welcome to the bench. Other times the manager will say, you're a top player. It happens. Let's get on with it. Right. We are the loving friend. We also give the kick in the arse. We are here to help get the most out of the match officials we employ. Nice. Nice. That's uh, Alan. Yeah. I think when you add into that, um, like Joe's covered it really well there. Um, most of where I sit uh, during the week is in the analysis and performances of our, of our, our, of our match officials, you know, like first, first and foremost, I look at the referee side of it. Then I look at the assistant referee side of it. And I, then I look at the VAR side of it. We have a, we have a, an assistant referee manager and a, and a VAR manager as well in, in, um, in Frank Anderson, former uh, MLS official, uh, World Cup official, and Greg Barkey, the same former MLS official, mm -hmm. former World Cup uh, official. So some some really high caliber uh, individuals uh, within the the management team, a, a phenomenal amount of experience. So so I will go through that as as the director of those roles. I'll go through that uh, that analysis in terms of the the game. We've got fourteen games every week. You know, it's a lot of uh, that's a lot of game time to cover. Um, but we will look at not just the key incidents in the game, but also uh, an overview of the referee's performance in terms of their positioning, their movement, their interaction with players. Uh, Decision-making, obviously, is, is, is a key component to that, uh, to see if there's any trends in the game, not just trends in their performance, not just trends that are you know focusing on areas to improve, right? Um, but more positives in, in their performances that we can feedback, but also feedback, hey, look, have a think about you know, X minute in the game where your movement is left there. If you think about it, that right movement in that particular moment might give you a better angle of view. So all of that analysis works in, in into, you know, the weekly routine for me. I mentioned pro training camps. 
uh, a, a little bit earlier and and that's very much a, a focus of every kind of three week cycle where we get everybody together and we work towards a consistent approach. You'll ask me what's consistency. I will say, you know, we get as we get as close. Uh, ultimately, the ultimate goal is to get the right key decisions and how do we get them um, and how do we view certain things. So it's uh, but but at the same time, the way I see something or interpret something might be very different, Nick, just to how you would see mm-hmm. something and, and so on. So working within the framework of, um, of the technical considerations for decision making. Very, very part, uh, key part of um, the referees, not only 90 minutes, but preparation also, 90 plus minutes, uh, but not right. uh, the preparation also. That's just some of what we do. <laughs> yeah. And you see, I'll talk about evaluation. And I think that's you know a key important part to anybody growing. So is there a is there an internal score given to a ref for a game? Like who who actually looks at all of the film and watches and says, okay, let's break this down. These are the parts. How how does how does that work with that? So um yes, there is a match day assessor who watches the entire 90 minutes. So like let's take Alan, myself, and all of senior management out of the picture just for one second. Mm-hmm. We have other independent persons who observe the match from pro standpoint and it's their job to judge the overall performance right i can sit here and say you missed this penalty kick therefore you're a bad referee i could also say you got this penalty kick right therefore you're a great referee but what if everything else you did in the other 88 minutes was absolutely glowing or absolutely horrendous Mm -hmm. sometimes we could just get lucky Right. And that have not things go. We could be doing the wrong things and just getting lucky or favorable outcomes. Our job is to make sure the officials are putting the best practices into play, which should render the best results. A lot of times our, our decision making accuracy is great. We're kind of like goalkeepers. Nobody remembers the times that you made a bazillion great decisions, but they're going to remember the one that you let in. Right. That's that's the downside for us. So what's important in our roles is to not be blinded by, okay, they missed this one decision, therefore you are terrible, off off with their heads, let's retire them off. Like, no, no. Like let's let's remember that no human being is completely infallible, but can I get consistent performances? How are they doing to manage 22 persons who are looking for every competitive advantage they can find, be it mm-hmm. just or eh, competitive, shall we say. Right. 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 So we do have somebody independent who looks at all of that. Now you take senior management, which Alan, myself are a part of, and put them back in and say, hmm, how does this look in the grand scheme of things? Is this person performing well, generally speaking? Ooh, are they missing a lot of big decisions on the trot? Oh, wait, this could be a problem. And now that, not just that score, but that trend and how they're doing, we have to look at what's best for the competition because we obviously are here in service to the game. And if what's best for the competition means that this referee now must act as fourth official, then that's the decision we make. Right. But our job is to, we want them to be better, but at the same time, we have to hold them accountable for what's done. So yes, there's an internal scoring system, to try to best document how somebody's doing over a longer period. And yes, if you find yourself on the low end of said performing scores, mm-hmm. then that quite likely 
has an impact on the assignments you get because we're no different than any other team. You get a striker who's scoring six games on the trot. There's no chance you're benching them, not unless they're hurt. Right. So if we have an official who's just putting in performance after performance after performance, as everybody says, oh, the referee you don't even notice is the best. Well, hi, this is the referee you only notice when you expect them and they're doing what's expected of them. That's right. that's the top official right there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're going to put them out as often as we can when they're not injured, avoid injury. And yeah, that's that's sort of how the scoring and officiating selection works. So when you're selecting officials, it kind of made me think about this. When you're selecting officials, do you assign or go over with like whatever league, whether it's NWSL, MLS, or whatever, do you go over with them and saying, we're assigning this person to here? Or do they kind of say, we need somebody for this match? Like how does so that interaction work? Pro, it is an important feature. Pro is works with the leagues. We work to service the leagues, but we pick independently of the leagues. The leagues are not allowed by statute to pick their own match officials. Just try to envision what that would look like if the bigger spending club got to say, oh, I'd like to have this person here. Oh, I'd like this person who lives in my hometown there. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's just asking for a problem. So quite rightly, independent company gets made and we make the decisions as to which referee goes where. And there are rules as to you don't put the same official, the same team back to back three days later. Like that, that's a, that's a, that's a gimme, right? Mm-hmm. But over and above the rules that are stated that we won't put a match official in a poor position where they're, we don't set people up to fail. Right. So we have rules internally on top of rules that says, Hmm, uh, this combination isn't a great idea. This official going to this location this often does not make sense. So we, the assigning piece, I make the argument is one of the most important things we do that affects matches because that's the end result. If Mr. Kelly, who is responsible for assigning referees, assistant referees and VARs to MLS matches, um, comes up with the idea that uh, Elfaf, Atkins and Parker should go and work this match and they knock it out of the park. I'm like, well done, Mr. Kelly. Granted, it's done. Signing is done by committee, right. but that's a great decision. If we put out a combination of persons that have far less experience on MLS Cup, for example, right. and MLS Cup happens to not go the way we want it to, people are going to question our selection. So that's a big responsibility of all the things we do we're trying to make everybody worthy of mls cup and it takes time because some people are at the beginning of their journey some are at their end of their journey and some are at their peak of their powers so that selection process is everything but i promise you the teams don't get to pick yeah it's hard enough for us to do it ourselves (laughs) so putting six individuals because you have a ref two assistant refs fourth ref var and assistant ar how do you decide what people, because we know personalities are different. We know people do different things. How do you decide how that group gets together and how do they kind of come together and, you know, talk and like prepare? So just to give you an idea of, um, of, of the process, it, like, first of all, if the game is on a Saturday, which most of them are now, um, the match officials will travel the day before. Okay. So they'll arrive the 
yeah, afternoon, evening of the of, of the day before. Officials will spend pretty much breakfast and, and lunch together. They'll chat, they'll converse, uh, and uh, you know they'll, they'll talk about the game a little bit uh, and so on in terms of the preparation. Um, it, it, it's a fact that some officials work better. You build better relationships, working relationships, on-field relationships um, uh, with, uh, with others. So when you know that that's there, you tend to try and keep them together a little bit, right? Then you try and uh, you try and find relationships that work. You know, we have a lot of um, our, our, our referee and assistant referee pool uh, is has transitioned a little bit over the last number of years. So, so you find those really good working relationships. Look, ultimately, when you put four on-field officials out there, you want them all in sync, okay? Um, and we do that through the educational uh, process as well. Um, and then the VARs and the AVARs, who are not in stadium, but in the centralized uh, VAR center in Atlanta, feed into that aspect as well. They communicate with the with the match officials in advance of the game. You know, um, it's not just a case of okay, we're kicking off here uh, in ten seconds. Is 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 everybody there? Are the VARs there? You know, that that that's a process that takes place uh, in, in advance, well in advance of kickoff as well. So. So yeah, putting them to, putting them together is a it's a sometimes a complicated piece, you know. Um, the again, North America is quite large uh, in terms of distance covered. Um, so, do you want to fly somebody east coast to west coast every week or west coast to east coast? Not necessarily because that has a, an impact in their uh, in their ability to recover quickly and so on. So all of these factors are. are uh, are brought into it. Joe's covered it really well there in terms of uh, the uh, piecing it together, you know. So, um, but it is it's 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 a real it's a real key part of the assigning process to make sure that the officials some that that you know who work well together work with each other and then build that relationship, that team relationship. It's the exact same as players and and coaches. Look, you know, you have different personalities on um, on a team. You'll have different personalities on a team of match officials, you know, but ultimately the goal is to go out there and win the game. And from our point of view, from an official's point of view, it's to officiate the game and to not impact the the, the result, manage the game properly, you know, make the correct calls uh, uh, and communication, communication within that process is really, really important. You talked earlier about the evaluation and having giving kind of instruction to referees based on like if you were to stand here, you know, you would get a better view or angle or things like that. And that's what you work on, you know, in between matches and things like that. But during a match, is it is it, you know, does the ref specifically ahead of the game like look at the teams? The playing look at the players. Is there like a almost like a scouting report that they're seeing? Like, okay, how should I? manage this match based on the personalities and the way these teams play is that done ahead of time too really good question a really good question and it would be in the modern game right in the modern game of of, of soccer it would be and especially in a professional uh league like mls it would be foolish of match officials not to be prepared before they walk out on the field again i will state this it is not a case of match officials just turning up at a stadium and going and refereeing a game much the same as players will not just turn up and go and play. There'll be a tactical approach uh, to the uh, to the game. Um, referees will do some analysis. It's not a case of 
focusing on individual players. It's it's absolutely not that. It's formations, uh, playing styles, patterns, all of that kind of stuff. You know, to be um, and and to be as prepared as they possibly can. And uh, if you each could kind of maybe a uh, Joe take on the the assistant referees. So what is what is their main role that they're looking for the entire time? And then maybe Alan, you can talk about just the ref itself and kind of what their kind of goal is and what they should be looking at and focusing on and then how they all communicate during the okay. match. Um, so the assisted referees on the match have the primary responsibility of offside decisions. It is the biggest decision that they make that impacts a match. Now let's take uh, offside technology out of the equation. The on-field decision is the most important thing. Yes, VAR can tidy up a big mistake on something that leads to penalty kick, goal, dog so, red card, but their on-field decision-making is paramount. The other job that the assistant referee has that most won't notice, and if they're doing it well, people won't notice, is to assist the referee in decision-making. Now, I worked with Mark Geiger in the World Cup in 14 and 18, and I can tell you that he, in my estimation, was a 95% good referee. It was my job to get him to 98. Mm -hmm. So it's not everything that he needs because the man knew what he was doing. My job was to pick up the few ones where he might have a hesitation. He's not quite certain from where he's standing. And I'm to try to get him that answer into his earpiece so he could blow the decision like he was making it himself and nobody would be none the wiser. That's that's an AR at that's AR masterclass in my own estimation. And you're kind of in constant communication with him? I constant would make you think that it's a running right. dialogue. Right. Which no, sorry, yeah. It, I really don't want that to be. Let's just right. say that. Right. But that would be too much. When needed, yeah. pipe in, fix problem, get out, and nobody knows you were there. You're the you're the wizard behind the curtain. And if when you're doing that job well, it's just like the referee. They expect to see a flag. Oh, look, there was a flag. They expect a whistle. Oh, look, it happened. Mm -hmm. How much you contributed to that is known to the match officials. And if you do it exorbitantly well, referees, they all give you the ultimate compliment of, hey, my next big cup final, you're the guy I want. Mm -hmm. So, Alan, tell me a little more focus about the the ref. Yeah, the referee. Look, the easiest way to um, to try and explain this is that you know the referee is like the the conductor in an orchestra. You know, um, like he or she is. It's it's their job to 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 manage the game um, as effectively and efficiently as possible. The communication with the assistant referees is really really key. The on field uh, look. The, the, the referee is referred to the, the, the head referee um, quite a lot. And the reason for that is they are the, the leader of the team. You know, um, uh, every match official goes out there, one, uh, with a clear expectation of what their own individual role is, right? But two, what their role is in terms of the collective, the team. I'll use me and Joe um, as an example here. We work together, I think, only four times, Joe, right? Um during our, our, our MLS career. Uh, but it felt, I remember the very first time I worked with him was in New England. England. Okay, yeah, New England. I get a decision wrong during the game. We beat ourselves up over that decision still to this day because I say, 
I could have, I should have, I should have seen it for what it was. He's 50 yards away and said, I think I should, I could communicate something to you uh, in that moment when I sense your hesitation, mm -hmm. you know? So things like that um, all form really key parts to, uh, to that, that real team dynamic. Um, but yeah, the, the, the referee is the orchestra, uh, is the conductor of that orchestra. Okay. Within the game, you'll have lots going on. The decision-making process uh, is one. The management of the players is is another. You've got you've got twenty two players on the field, hopefully for for the entire game. Mm -hmm. But you've got um, you've got twenty two players. There's a lot of emotion uh, that goes on within that. You know, um, players want to win. Okay, um, Joe's referred to the fact that they'll use every competitive advantage that they that they have to do that. Uh, and from from an official's point of view, the win is. Starting that game, finishing that game. If you've got all those players still within uh, your your control, uh, then then great. Um, if you can control the game by communicating effectively, verbally, visually, through whistle tone and so on, then then great. And yeah, there's going to be times during the game where um, where the the emotion raises to a to a real high level. Our instruction and guidance to to match officials is. When that happens, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. You know, mm -hmm. we have to, we're the ones that are on the field, uh, uh, rather in, in the middle of the field or on the, um, on the touchdowns or technical areas. We're the ones that have to remain in control of our emotions. Okay. Understanding the game, understanding the game gets to there, you know, letting a player vent for a couple of seconds. But at the same time, once that process is over, that you communicate effectively, you know, yeah. and you get, and you say to that player, you know, look, that's, you know, we're not always going to agree. Um, and that's one of the key things that, um, that we've been working on with, uh, with certainly what our MLS officials over the last two years is that in-game, that communication process, that decision-making process, but also the emotional aspect within the game. Nice. So what are some of the things that a, a referee would say to a player to kind of organize and manage? I may not be the best person to answer that because as a, again, as I said, I'm, uh, I'm Irish. All right. Um, all right let, so, um, okay. I'll try this you know, one. Uh, men and women are different persons mm -hmm. and they have different attributes and within the, uh, within a game, shall we say, I might take a different approach than Alan would take a different approach than uh, Shelly would take a different approach than Shirley would take a different approach. It's human being to human being. And you are trying to affect relationships in a competitive, sometimes maybe hostile environment. And it is a job of referee human to tell player humans who are full of adrenaline and emotion, and you're trying to somewhat keep them calm, keep them playing, get them to believe in you, get them to trust in you, and somewhat modify their behavior such that everybody plays within the context of these rules that we all uh, are trying to enjoy the spectacle through. And they all don't speak the same language as you either sometimes. Oh, yeah. So the, the, what somebody will do and how they'll do it, how they'll say it, how they'll walk it, how they'll talk it varies by individual. And we're at the end. We're not prescriptive. Just come back with a result at the end. 
Yeah, look, look, like like I said, right? Um, we've got twenty eight referees uh, within the group, and and close on fifty assistants within the group. Uh, that's that's lots of different personalities. That's lots of different uh, mannerisms. That's lots of different communication skills within that. The important part is that it's always professional, always courteous, even when you're, yeah, you're you're. You're really up there in terms of the game dynamic, game emotion aspect. You know, I know there's times where, in the past, where uh, I spoke Gaelic to myself just to, you know, say whatever I needed to say in a manner that I understood. Wow. Um, I, I think the question in terms of like different languages, we have a lot of our players in in MLS uh, speak Spanish. Um, not all of our referees do. Actually, one of the components that our group has added in is. Uh, is um, uh, in, in our training camps is uh, is that basic Spanish. We have Spanish-speaking officials who will use different terms and uh, and, and guide uh, guide our referees in terms of you know what you can say here in Spanish to maybe bring a player down a little bit. Um, uh, that's all part and parcel of it. Um, uh, you know, I, I I spoke French um, when I when I refereed in Europe and a little bit of German and, and very little. Italian, very little Spanish. My Spanish had to uh, grow um, when I came to uh, to MLS. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'm nowhere near fluent or anything like that. It's just simple words and phrases that um, that I used that I used that um, that I felt could could get a player back to 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 my level or a, or a grounded level, um, which sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. It's like you're saying, so, Joe. Joe was saying, you know, they're trying to get that competitive advantage. So they're, they're talking to you and saying, well, you called this here, you should be calling this, that type of stuff in probably other harsher language. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. Very accurate statement. All right. So Alan, is there a specific role or way that um, clubs, since they have quote unquote, a captain as an official, are you supposed to, is there certain rules that, or maybe unknown rules that we're supposed to, know about what the captain and the, the officials no not necessarily the captain uh captain comes up for the uh the coin toss at the beginning of the game that's the that's the, the role of the captain but <laughs> that's the simplistic role of the the, the the captain but the captain is always somebody from a from a match official's point of view look you 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 look around it uh, we talked about preparation earlier on and tactical approach but you always you know when you when you've worked within the uh, the league any league for a period of time you get some familiarity with um with some players the players that you know you can have a conversation on the field with and maybe the ones that that just don't want to converse on the field um but the captain is always the 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 one that you think okay that's if i'm having any sort of difficulty here with a player maybe or anything like that that doesn't need disciplinary sanction yellow or red cards this is part of the man- the, uh, the the player management process, and if you're not really connecting with that player, right? Then, and if the captain is someone that you feel, hey, look, this is a this is a good guy here. I can I can talk to this. And you try and get that captain to maybe assist you with that player. Um, the captain will always be the one that that feels that they can come to the referee and ask a question and point to the armband, which is all completely fine as long as it's done not on every decision and it's done in a professional and, and, and courteous way. If the captain is a guy who continuously screams, rants and raves at a, at a, at a match official, whether it be a referee, assistant referee or fourth official, then, and if that person wants to converse, it's unlikely that 
that's going to happen if it's in that 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 real ranting and raving way, you know. Right. Um, sometimes the captain isn't necessarily the, the calmest person on the the field. That's just a that's just the, the different approaches, you know. But captains have have real important roles within their team and within their locker rooms. Um, it's really important to point that out. But again, from last official's point of view, uh, you know, from from my point of view, you know, having you know, come off the field in a not too distant past. I used to always look for the captain as the first port of call to uh, to uh, to communicate with. Um, if uh, if that was the, the the person I felt would be most beneficial to talk to in a specific environment, I don't know Joe might have had a different experience of of captains, but um, that's fine. Sometimes the captain is amazing and the best person to help you on the field. And other times the captain is the one who spurs on most of your problems. And it's like, uh, get me out of here. <laughs> so. right. Somebody else. Uh, so what is pro's approach to stoppage time? There's been a lot, you know, since the, the world cup and other things really focus on how that's calculated, what they're doing. Can y'all walk through kind of what pro kind of sets up for the officials to, to do and then how it actually happens on in the match yeah look I'll, I'll take this one because um stoppage time is very in vogue at the minute um yeah look the world cup the world cup kind of raised the the, the stoppage time elements to a to a different degree um typically you see numbers like two three four five you know uh, anything more than five um uh, means there's something that is is pretty serious, maybe six, uh, pretty serious in the game. Um, and we saw kind of numbers like 10, 11, 12 during, uh, during the World Cup at different times. I think, the, I think when you look back at the World Cup, and I think uh, uh, looking at the uh, FIFA study or the numbers on this, that it averaged out at uh, like six minutes and 30 seconds um, mm-hmm. during, during halves, you know. Um, there are still the games with two and three minutes um, for, uh, for stoppage time. So, so Pro's approach in, in, in kind of conjunction with MLS at the beginning of the season was to find a, a real happy medium with this, you know. Like the, the rule of thumb with substitutes is that, um, you know, a substitute that just comes on and off the field is, is almost a 30-second a process, you know. Uh, law changes a couple of years ago uh, to, you know, players, we've seen players leave on the other side of the field of play, the closest boundary line to them. Um, the, the idea of that was to speed up the substitution process, you know, and it did. It probably knocked, you know, six, eight, ten seconds off of that. Um, and that counteracts the, the, the substitute that will walk off the field of play in a, kind of a 30 to 40 seconds period, you know. So normal substitution. 30 seconds is, is, is kind of the, 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 the process with it. Uh, injury, you know, player on, on the field of play, um, uh, trainers come out to, to assess the injury, not treat the injury unless it's a head injury, and remove the player typically around a minute, you know. So that's kind of an idea of, of, of where it is. Goals and goal celebrations, right? Uh, on average, it took less than almost a minute, right, from the time the ball entered the net to, um, to the time the game restarted. Okay, so anything that goes over a minute, we tend to 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 to, to add on with, you know. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of where we are with it. Um, uh, so how is that calculated? So is is the ref doing as the fourth official kind of working in conjunction? Yeah, that's uh, uh, that's a, a really good point. Um, you know, the, the the referee will keep track of that. The assistant referee will keep track of that. The fourth official will keep track of that. But also the VAR and the AVAR 
you know, who are sitting and, and, and looking at screens and looking at clocks, they can track that. So when it comes to, you know, the 42, 43, 44 minute of, of each half or 80, 87, 88, 89, that, that way, a discussion will take place. A referee will say, uh, you know, I've got five minutes here, right, in, in my head. Um, and and a fourth official will say, yeah, we're, we're like, you know, five minutes and 10 seconds or whatever. If there's something completely off, with, if a referee has forgotten a, an injury that's taken much longer within that game, you know, that's tracked and, and a VAR might come in and say, oh, we had that injury that, that took three minutes here. So we've got seven minutes up here, you know, and that's that's the way it's it, 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 it's working. So, Nick, the reason this is a, I'll call it a problem or such in focus is that, remember somewhere near the top of this hour, I said refereeing is an artistic science, right? In yesteryear, additional time, was far more artistic. It was like, you know what? This is a close game. So I want to make sure I get all of those lost minutes played so that no team loses out. And if this is a seven, nothing disaster, uh, I don't care that there was supposed to add on eight. Nobody's really looking to be here. This is going to have more problems than it's worth. I'm going to play two and get out of Dodge and everybody's going to be all the happier for it. Now, especially after the world cup, Mm-hmm. there's more of an ask for the scientific number. And I think people were surprised that the scientific number could be so much greater than the mm-hmm. actual number. Now, VAR obviously added to that, but I think in general, people are surprised that this is here. It's the same as they're looking for more technology in the game when you have VAR and an offside decision. Nobody would have cared if they were factually offside by a toenail. But now if a line goes through that toe, we're like, oh, has to be offside. So it's the science part is moving more into the world of refereeing, but for those who accuse referees of not having feel or understanding, understand that referees now trying to balance the, you want me to be perfectly scientific and to the letter of this law book, but then you also want me to orchestrate this in such a fashion that everybody still gets to enjoy it and still the game they remember no one love. So you want to sign up? I think it's fun. I, I actually, I enjoy what you all do. <laughs> uh, so speaking of that, can each of you share, uh, we'll have uh, Joe share first, top moment officiating a match and why? Top moment, best individual performance, I'll do this. Best individual performance I ever did was an MLS game in 2013, mainly because seemingly every possible decision that could be made happened in my end, nearby me, and I didn't miss. I think I could have gotten things right blindfolded that day. Uh, most memorable World Cup, England, Colombia, because it was my last World Cup match on a field. Uh, the game went to kicks, and I hear about it from friends and people who don't normally watch soccer or telling me about all the things that are happening in this. And it's mm-hmm. kind of neat when you get some notice, love, or appreciation off of Referee right. Island. Right. Alan? I don't know if I have a specific game where I look back on fondly uh, with great decisions. Um, look, I can remember my very first game uh, as a as a raw 19-year-old. Uh, it was 7-6 in a U11 game. Um, uh, I, think I made a fortune mistakes in that game um, <laughs> because I got about 24 hours notice of the game. Um, and it's probably the most intimidated I ever was on a football field um, uh, or a soccer field. Uh Pardon my slip there, um, but uh, but in terms of in, in terms of career games and so on, look, uh, you know, 
like I, I was fortunate enough to do two MLS Cup finals. Um, one with Joe uh, in in 2016 in a freezing, freezing Toronto um, that I'm still not thawed out from. Um, and uh, I, I, I think I think you know career highs are, are you know Champions League game at, at the Bernabeu for in, uh, with Real Madrid. That's that's a that's a career high Champions League in Munich career high type of thing. You know. Um, Things that we can only dream about when we start this process, as 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 kids or young adults, uh, you know, going out on a on, on a field with twenty two players in your local park, surrounded by a load of parents uh, who are, you know, screaming and right. and shouting uh, at you. You know, that's so, a good training ground. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, I I always make that point. You can you know the the the, the further into your my career that I went. You could put me in a stadium full of, of fans and, and it's a really great place and a great environment. And I, I would never you know, give it a second thought. But you, you now put me on a U12 or U13 field uh, and it can be quite intimidating because you can you can hear everything that's being said. Yeah. Um, I, I still referee my, my, you know, some kids games in my local area here. Um, and it's, it's, it can be a tough environment. But, yeah, look, I think I think, you know, the the. The benefits of this job far outweigh the the the, the negatives, um, you know. So, um, yeah, I think those are some 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 career highs, but no one specific game. That uh, now, did you see yourself as a as a referee as a career early, or like what kind of got you into that? Um, I, I'll take this one first, Joe. Um, I, I wanted to play. I played. Uh, I'll say that I was a pretty decent player. Um, I was a defender. I like to tackle. Uh, I like the I like the physical side of the game, um, but I grew up in a refereeing household. Uh, my father was a, a referee, a FIFA referee, and my grandfather before uh, before him was a was a, a League of Ireland referee. So it was, and and my brother took it on, and my kids have now taken that. So it always felt like kind of the family business right. to a degree. Um, so there was always a draw to it, but my first my first focus was was to play and. Once it got to a point where I I've reached my peak as a player, I kind of looked at other alternatives. And and ha- having grown up in that referee environment, um, it seemed a natural way to go. My mother, when I told her oh, I'm going to take up refereeing, she's like, Ah, I'll give you I'll give you two months. You don't have the personality for it. <laughs> so um, yeah, I proved her wrong uh, uh, <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> um, sorry, mom. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it was uh, that. That was my way in. That was my way in, and uh, and it was um, yeah. N- never that I think it would go to, to to this level. It was just let's go and see how. It goes. And you love it so much now that you're you're helping grow more people in that position and getting them better. So yeah, I, I argue now that I'm in it, I can't get out of it. But no, no, seriously, it, it's it's um, it's it, it's it's really fulfilling when we have the opportunity to coach and guide other referees another generation of referees into another generation of the game. You know, the, the, I, I look at the, the referee group that we have within pro, just a referee group at a minute, because I know Joe will, 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 will speak more in relation to the, um, the assistant referees, but we have a young group of officials um, or a younger group of officials with so much potential um, that, they, 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 you know, that they're still on that early part of that, of that um, refereeing journey or match officials journey. Same with the assistant referees. So many young assistant referees that have come into that that group over the last four or five years. Um, 
that have real, real potential. And it's it's up to us to guide them and get the most out of them and for them to fulfill that um, that potential. Joe talked about uh, at the beginning of the, um, the, the, the show here uh, about, you know, uh, world leaders in, in, in officiating, you know, um, and that's very much the focus. We challenge uh, ourselves as a management team. We challenge our officials to be better game by game by game. Nice. Joe, your take on how you got into this? Well, how I got into this is similar to most. I was playing. I had an opportunity to make a few extra bucks. So, okay, here, I'll referee. Um, I took the year off of playing in one season. So I said, okay, I'll give this just a right go and never looked back. Kind of got that, got that bug, got that itch. It became my addiction, so to speak, or a drug habit or whatever you want to say. It's just the love. It's the passion. And now I want to take this as far as it goes. And on your come up, you don't think of money as stupid as this sounds, because um, if you can imagine in the years even before pro in the amateur game, nobody's doing this uh, to get mm -hmm. rich. You're doing it. It's the hobby that pays for itself is what I used to call it. And I just loved it. I would drive four hours to be a fourth official for $25. And it made perfect sense to me just because I was going to get a chance to be a fourth official on this fourth division amateur game. Oh my God, mm -hmm. this is awesome. So yeah, uh, and that just carries forward and then it becomes the competitor part kicks in where now I want to get as high as I possibly right. can. And I will do whatever it is. I will give to the cause till I get there. And then you now, now that same pathway is a little better for referees on the come up. In fact, our division two officials or our pro two officials as they're affectionately known have just unionized. So how much they have to kind of give on their own to the cause to try to get there. Those terms and conditions are better. And I'll take this moment to applaud the leagues who are a part of making that happen because they're starting to take officiating more seriously. So watching that all happen is really enjoyable to see. But yeah, that's I think my journey to officiating is the same as everybody else's. And Alan mentioned the assistant referees. And you're right. Those are the official, match officials who often to the outside, people say, well, they weren't good enough to referee and that's why they're ARs. That's a common mm -hmm. statement. I will go on public record and say, I will put myself up against any match referee and say, you think I can't handle that job? Because the truth of the matter is the assistant referee not only has to do their own gig, but they also have to make sure the referee is doing their job at a commiserate level so that the whole team can succeed because if the referee starts to fail, it's our job to fix it. So you got to do our, you have to watch them do their job and do your own all at the same time and have nobody notice that it's happening. Yeah. So I greatly applaud the assistant referees who are in the MLS right now, because those men and women are just lights out performing at a top, top level. And I've seen assistant referees around the planet and I'll put this roster up against anybody. Because be the male, be them female, be it women's match, be it but men's match, whatever the case is, intermixed, put it whatever, just dump them out there, and they just go out there and perform. And to see how they've progressed over the time, uh, yeah, that's that's the biggest compliment I could ever see, and it's just something I love to see. And I'm making sure that they get their props because I know they don't always get behind yeah, the mic. No, got that. And, and just to add, Nick, I just just. Very briefly to add, you know, there, there's sometimes a misconception, misconception among even even players at a professional level that 
that the referee and the assistant referee um, that they that, that they swap over, right? Not to say that they couldn't in terms of ability to referee, they can, but it's a completely different skill set. So as a referee in MLS, I was never an assistant referee. Okay, that's not to say that I couldn't be an assistant referee, but it's a different skill set. It's not a case of well. Uh, you know, you referee the first half and you referee the second. It's not that at all. It's just so far away from that. Um, you know, so it's it's important like, because uh, I know that there was a conversation took place recently enough where where players at, at MLS level thought that that crew just rotated around right. uh, a little bit. You know, and where that tends to happen between fourth official and 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 referee, same type of role. Right. Uh, right. It's different from a, an assistant referee. Different skill set. Different. Um, Different dynamic. Right, you're not going to switch your your goalie with a striker. <laughs> there you yeah. go. No, because the whole training is meant towards doing that position well and looking at from that perspective. That's what I'm, I'm so, hearing. You, not just well, you need to do it to an elite level. And you don't do it by uh, just without practice and repetitions. Right. You don't become an expert with, what, what do they say, 10,000 hours mm-hmm. or something like that or 10,000 repetitions. Yeah. So let's get as many repetitions as possible so that you the game slows down when you have more experience. And I think that's the same for yeah. everybody. Same for match officials. We have a, a segment on our show called Stoppage Time. It's just quick hitter questions. So we'll just we'll, we'll go with Joe Allen every time. It's stoppage time. First question. Uh, do you have a favorite personal ritual? Music on the way to the stadium. Uh, being last out of the locker room and back in. All right. Uh, favorite nickname a fan or player has given you? No. <laughs> can't repeat it on record. I can't repeat it. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have a go-to snack when you're watching a match or during the match, maybe at halftime or something to kind of get yourself ready? Uh, no. Uh, watching a match in the comfort of my own home, tea. Joe, do you have a snack you you watch a match with? Uh, no, I don't actually kind of say that. Right. No. That's fine. All right. This one might seem a little weird, but it's kind of uh, – kind of into thought process. What design impresses you more, interior or exterior? Interior. Not necessarily just for housing. Okay, interior. Hey, amazing. I just went directly to housing. Uh, interior. Yeah. That's what's on the inside that counts. Yeah, something. Yeah. All right. Do you find starting a project or finishing one more gratifying? Finishing. Finishing. All right. What recharges you? Watching Watching yeah. football. <laughs> My kids. All right. And then if you could play any position on the pitch in today's game, what would it be and why? Striker. It's where I played my whole life. And it's if you can get that one memorable moment, that's the one that you can cling on to. And nobody forgets the thousands of failures you might have had along the way. Uh, I'll say a center back, just because I was. Uh, and uh, you can be the best of both worlds. You can be a really good footballer, uh, but you can also be the uh the street angel pitch devil type of thing you know yeah. so you can you can be you can be the, the the guy that plays you can be the player that plays or you can be the player that you know is a master of the dark arts type of thing awesome well thank you both for being here and being on the podcast uh we appreciate your time and um look forward to uh 
learning, helping people learn more about Pro and just how officials work. And I really appreciate y'all y'all doing this. Nick, thanks for uh, thanks for having us. Really enjoyed the uh, the the ability to converse in relation to match official matters. Cheers, Nick. Thanks for having us. Sir, thank you. What a great conversation to break down many of the things referees do to prepare for matches and how pro is organized. I had such a good time with these gentlemen. As a former teacher, I appreciate pro's drive to continue to help officials grow and learn on a consistent basis, both individually and collectively. We have a part two on officiating coming up later this season as we take an inside look at VAR, yellow cards, and offsides. That's it for the Charlotte FC podcast today. Thanks for listening. Please continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram at CLTFC Podcast. And as always, give us a five-star rating and subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy match day.